Welcome to the Drop Time Report. Turn up the volume and listen to amazing stories about big bucks and the hunters who harvested them. Here is your host, outdoor writer, Tracy Breen. Welcome to the Drop Time Report. I'm your host, Tracy Breen. On this week's show, we're going to have Roger Siegler. Roger's best known as a shed antler dog expert. He's trained hundreds of shed antler dogs, and it is shed season, and spring is puppy season. Uh, It's when most people buy puppies, so I thought we'd kind of switch gears, and instead of talking about a big buck, uh, we'd talk to a guy uh, that trains awesome dogs to help you find sheds from big bucks. So we're going to interview Roger largely about picking out uh, the perfect puppy and how to go about starting to train that puppy. There's a lot of information out there about shed antler dogs, but we're going to focus in on the puppy aspect of shed antler dogs. Roger has an extensive uh, resume in animal training. He's trained dogs, horses, mules, and even marine mammals in California. Uh, So he will be a great interview and a wealth of knowledge. But before we get Roger on the phone, I'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, Redneck Blinds, Fourth Arrow Camera Arms, Winsent, Grim Reaper Broadheads, Schaefer Performance Archery, Wilderness Athlete, Morel Targets, Lucky Buck, and Pine Ridge Archery. Now let's go ahead and get Roger on the phone. Welcome to the show, Roger. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good. Uh, Today I want to talk to you about uh, some shed hunting, dog training tips. Um, You've been at this game. You've been okay. at this game a long time. Um, why don't you share with listeners two or three tips uh, that if they drive home and, and work hard at with their puppy or their retriever, uh, it increases the odds of them having a you know a really good shed hunting dog. Okay. First of all, as I lecture all over, I always start with the same introduction, and, and that is. It's always about the quality of your dog. That doesn't mean how much you paid for it. That means what its skill sets are. Now, in our program, the way it works is we've trained almost 500 of these dogs, have them all over the United States, Canada, and Europe. During that, uh, during that 12 to 13 years we've been training these dogs, we've taken the top five males, we pull semen on them, We save it at K-State. When we have a first-class female, we sell her with a breeding agreement, and wherever she goes, we ship semen to the family. They raise the puppies until they're eight weeks of age, and then we buy them all back. It's selective breeding, the very best to the very best. Now, when we get them at eight weeks of age, they all are little and cute, have four little paws, and, and just cute as can be. But that doesn't tell you anything at all about their skill sets. You have to think about it like this. In the world of professional human sports, let's say the NFL, you would never draft a player until you knew what their skill sets were. Hand-eye coordination, vertical leap, the list just kind of goes on and on. And to a large degree, those players are drafted based on their skill sets. People go out all the time and buy puppies at eight weeks of age, thinking that they're going to turn those dogs into a performance dog. And when you're working with a very special or specialty type of dog, like an antler dog or a bomb dog or a drug dog, you want to have a candidate 
the skill sets match up with the game that you want to play. Now, in the world of of shed dogs, okay, you're looking for a very specific kind of dog, and it's going to be a lab. We've tried just uh, probably 25 different breeds. We always come back to labs because they have, for the most part, all the physical skills and, and mental skills to be able to do the work. There's a lot of misconceptions out there in the market right now about horn dogs, okay? Retriever trainers think that these dogs are retrievers. Well, they kind of are retrievers, but what they really are is they're hunting drug dogs. But rather than hunting cocaine or marijuana or bombs or drugs or seizures, they're actually hunting okay. horns. Dogs don't, nat- dogs don't naturally go looking for bombs, drugs, or antlers until they're taught what it is they're looking for. So in the world of shed dogs, you have to train scent discrimination so the dog knows and understands what it is that he's looking for. And if you don't know how to train scent discrimination, all the retrieving in the world is not going to get you to where you want to be with an antler dog. Okay. Okay. So so at what point when you're training these puppies – You've picked out the one or two rock stars or whatever, three or four rock stars out of a litter. When do you really get down to business? At what age are you really cracking down? Okay. Most people don't know, but a human baby learns 80% of what they're going to learn by the time they're five years old. A puppy learns 80% of what it's going to learn by the time it's 14 to 16 weeks. Wow. So by the time we have them and test them, at 16 weeks, we have a pretty good idea as to whether or not what their skills are, what their capabilities are, and whether or not they're just going to be a pretender or whether they're not going to be a, a really a world-class horn dog. You don't start to see those skill sets really develop till around 14, 16 weeks. Then you have a pretty good idea as to whether or not you have a qualified candidate or not. And then what? And that makes it t- that makes it really tough because everybody wants to get an eight week old puppy, but in any given litter, there's always going to be degrees of skill sets, and it's a little bit. I use the example like with racehorses, okay, thoroughbreds. They all have fur and manes and four feet, but there's only a few can run on the track, and there's a, even a fewer that can run on the track and win. Puppies are exactly the same. All of these dogs will make absolutely great pets, and most of them would make bomb, would make drug, would make duck dogs or pheasant dogs. But when you start to ask that dog to have the same kind of drive t- towards a horn that it has towards a pheasant, you're looking for a whole different kind of dog. Sure. So, when does the serious training begin on one of these puppies? Ten weeks. Ten weeks. Okay. Yep. How old are they? Go ahead. Yeah, ten weeks of age. But if if you're using what's called fear-based training, choke chains electricity, and and you wire them up or you choke them up when they're ten weeks of age, you, you might as well flush them down the stool because they they cannot put up with that kind of pressure. The reason that most dog trainers wait until the dog is eight to ten months of age is because what they're doing to the dog, the dog has a what I call enough substance to be able to put up with that kind of treatment. But you can take a 10 to 12 week old puppy and teach it all the obedience it's going to need for the rest of its life 
by the time it's 10 to 12 weeks of age. Set down, stay, come to its name, come to whistle, eye contact, uh, carry the horn around. I mean, the list just kind of goes on and on. They retain training and love it if they're getting something out of it. Now, you have to think about it like this. I go to California, my wife and I do, once a year or so, and we work with the top marine mammal trainers out there. And when you're training at a very high level, you are never beating up on the animal. The animal is always cooperating with you in the training. And the example, perfect example of that is like with dolphins. You never see the dolphin trainer okay, with his electric uh, collar on the dolphin or choke chain. That dolphin is performing because he's getting something out of it. A lot of people, when they go to California or Florida and they watch the marine mammals train dolphins, they think that the dolphin is out there because they just love people and they want to entertain people. The real reason the dolphin is doing he it wants a piece is of fish. because of the yeah, fish. He wants a piece of fish. That's yep. right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you take the fish out of it and nothing happens. Okay. These dogs are exactly the same. Okay. You figure out what they like and they get it and there's an exchange for what you want them to do and everybody wins. Okay. Okay. So are, are you actually introducing them to antler that young? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you test with, you're, you're generally testing with a ball. Okay. You're looking for reaction from the puppy with, with a ball. Okay. And if you have five puppies in a litter, you take the first one out and you roll a ball out in front of it. You want to see what kind of reaction that puppy has to that ball. If, if he just watches it roll out, he's probably not going to be a candidate. Puppy number two, you roll the ball out. He runs right out and looks at it and just keeps right on going. He's probably not going to qualify. Puppy number three, you roll the ball out. He runs right out, picks it up, goes over a few feet, and drops it and goes on his way. Puppy number four, you roll the ball out. He runs right out and gets it and brings it right back and puts it in your hand. Puppy number five, you roll the ball out. It runs it right out and gets it and brings it halfway back and lays down with it. Now, you're trying to coax it in. You want him to come in and give it to you. So you're, you're talking to him really sweet. Come here, you little thing. But he just sits there. So you take a step towards him. He picks it up and runs off with it. Now, of the fourth and fifth puppy, which one is your candidate? The last one. The last one. Because when he's laying there looking at you and you're trying to coax him in, I tell folks, you know what that puppy is thinking when he's sitting there? He's thinking, this is too good for Roger. I want to keep it myself. It's that covetousness in which you are looking for, okay, that he wants that worse than he wants to give it up. Now, it's a lot more complicated than that, but that's kind of a starting point in which you're looking at, okay? But we're really looking at five different drives, and the higher these dogs score in these different drives, the better the dog is going to be as your candidate for, as a as a student and as a pupil. Okay. And so from there you start hiding antlers, um, you know, he's retrieving antlers. That's kind of the next step, right? Well, if you have one of these dogs that, that won't bring it back to you, he wants to lay down with it, okay, you have to, there's only, if you are a professional retriever trainer and your job is to teach a dog, to bring back the duck or the dummy or whatever, okay, and the dog won't bring it back, he wants to run off with it, you have to figure out a way to get him to bring it back. And every re professional retriever trainer in the country, probably not going to make any fans here, but they train what's called force fetch. 
In force fetch, they usually wait until a puppy is probably anywhere seven to eight months of age, and then they start training the dog with the technique called force fetch. It's it's and it's ugly to watch. They're they're they take it down. They have a dog and they have it up on a table where it can't move, and the, and they put a. A, a, a rope around, I don't even want to get into it because all you have to do is to go online and look up force fetch and see what they're doing in fear-based training. And force fetch is at the highest level of that. The animal gets punished for every wrong decision. Okay. Come shock, down choke. Okay. And if the animal doesn't react to the, to the command, the only tool you have is elevating the amount of pain that the animals get until you get them to do what you want them to do. But it's not a very good relationship between you and the, when you're with your dog, when you're punishing it for everything that it does wrong in true reward based training, the animal gets rewarded for every right decision. And, and like I said, you don't have to listen to what I'm saying, but, when you go to California or you're working with lions or tigers or uh, elephants, or I don't care what it is, you're, you're never beaten up on them. If I'm going to teach a bird to talk, I sure don't, or ride a bicycle, I sure don't beat the bird up and then say, speak. Okay, you have to have something that bird sure. wants. Okay, and if he gets what he wants, I train with the greatest animal trainers that ever lived, and we train chickens. Okay, and you can train chickens to do all kind of remarkable things. Now, is it harder? to get a chicken to play tic-tac-toe or get a dog to go out and bring a bone back. It's, it's far harder uh, with with wild animals or animals like chickens or whatever uh, to get to perform behaviors. Yeah, you know, something I've interviewed you before for magazines and something that kind of always stuck out uh, in those interviews is that you say, uh, you know, a dog can't master all things. You know, the the versatile breed is what what many people want today. But one thing has to be their their go to thing. Can it, can you turn an antler dog into a duck dog? Sure, but antlers better be his his first thing. Could you kind of explain that a little bit? That if if a guy wants to have a, a dog that goes into the pheasant field and goes into the duck blind and retrieves antlers. He's probably not going to excel at every one of those uh, as well as he would one of the things. Well, if if you're training, a, if you want a dog to bite people, you're not going to get a collie. You're going to get a German Shepherd or Belgian Malinois. If you want a dog to work cattle, you're not going to get a poodle. You're going to get a border collie. If you if you want a dog to hunt rabbits, you're you're not going to get. Uh, once again, a poodle, you're going to get a beagle. For this sport, it's always about the lab and not just any lab, as I just mentioned. You want one that has all the skill sets that can do it. And if you get that dog, you don't have to be a very good trainer to get the job done. In fact, I'd prefer if you didn't know anything about training, you, you can get the job done. Now, we have a book out on Amazon, and we also have a DVD that runs for an hour that helps people that train their dogs. But, <laughs> excuse me. Getting back to the question at hand, the most versatile dog in the in the world is a lab. Okay, it's the most also the most popular dog in, in the world. It's the most three to one over any other dog. Now, why a lab? Because you can't. They are multitaskers. You can do bombs. You can do drugs. You can do uh, uh, horns, uh, uh, seizures. I mean, all kinds of different things with them. But as a rule, okay. 
they they will excel at one more than the other. Now, what we train a lot of these dogs to do is the horn hunt and the blood trail. Now, in blood trailing with one of these dogs, okay, it's a lot easier to train a dog to blood tra- a lab to blood trail than it is horn hunt because it's a very natural thing. Uh, over the years, just survival, they had to use their nose to find things to eat. But even though it's easier to train, it's more work. Now, why is it more work? Because you start with 100 yards or 100 feet and then 100 yards and then 300 yards and then 1,000 yards. And then you start putting the turns in across water. And then the last stage in that, or not the last stage, just ongoing stage, it's immediate track. Then it's four hours. Then it's eight hours. Then it's 16 hours. Then it's 24 hours. But because it's a very natural thing, you can train a lot of these labs to do uh, blood trail. But now when you start to get down to the specialty area of horns and scent discrimination and the retrieve and all the other things that go into it, it, uh, I, what I actually want people to do is to pretty much specialize on horns. Okay. Okay. Now when a dog is, you know, two, three, four years old and he's a rock star, how many antlers is he going to find in the woods for every antler I find? I mean, what, what do you see out there? Okay. Well, I think that there's, there's some folks out there saying that you can train any dog to do this. Well, you know, that's just not the case. But what you will see, okay, getting back to those five puppies that I talked to about earlier, okay, of those five puppies, the first one, okay, I, I, you know, it may find a horn every now and then, but I sure wouldn't consider it a horn dog. The second puppy, it's pretty much the same. Going to make a great pet, probably make a duck dog, but I can't sell it as a horn dog. Puppy number three, it's a little better, okay? Like I said, as as the percentages go up, then puppy number four, it should find one to every one that you find, okay? And then puppy number five should find three to four to every one you find. So if someone says they have an antler dog, but it finds a horn every now and then, what does that really mean? Does that mean it's an antler dog? Well, of course not. Okay, so at the very highest level, and I mean, and there are some cr- incredible horn dogs out there. Uh, my my friend uh, uh, Norman Henderson, he has a dog named Foxy, and I mean, she is just mind-boggling what what she will do. Uh, my daughter Amy has a dog by the name of Larry, and we normally go to Canada in the spring where we hunt horns up there. And we you actually average, or we were averaging, 34 horns a day up there. Wow. And the reason for that is when the deer yard up in really severe winter, if, if there were 200 deer in, in 10,000 acres during the summer, they'd be all spread out. But come wintertime, when they yard up, they'll probably be in an area no bigger than maybe 50 to 100 acres in feeding with cattle. And if you know where they where they winter, and you, you'll, you'll find all the horns. So the last time we took Larry up there, or the first time we took Larry up there, the first day, he did okay. The second day, we found 33 horns. He found 27 of them all wow. on his own. I mean, all on his own. Not not leading him into it, not seeing them. I mean, he was just going out there, finding them, and bringing them back. So depending upon... Once again, it's just I equate it to like racehorses. I mean, they they all kind of look the same, 
but there's there's only a few that can run on the track, and there was really only one secretariat, and everybody wants a secretariat of horn dogs, but I think most people will be satisfied if they just had one that would win races now and then. Sure, sure. Now, in closing, then, uh, and keep in mind, kind of almost like a bullet point style, you know, th- uh, three tips for a guy training one of these dogs, you know, number one, number two, number three, you know, three tips for the guy out there who just bought a puppy, whether it be from you or somebody else, you know, quick, easy bullet points. First point is get the right dog. You get the right dog, you got a real chance. The second part of it is expose that puppy to life, okay? Because as soon as you get it at eight weeks of age, you start riding around in your truck, let it sleep with your kids, uh, take it to the woods, try to cross creeks with it, shoot guns around it, whatever you can do. Now, when I say shoot guns around it, I don't mean you're going to take it out and start shooting a 12-gauge shotgun over it. What we do with these little uh, 10-, 12-week-old puppies, we have a little cap gun. And we use it. You shoot this cap gun, and you give them a little treat. So you're pairing the sound with something that they like. Now, we use a cap gun not only for the noise, but because for the smell of the gunpowder, which I think is even more important than the noise itself. So exposing that puppy to everything it's going to be exposed to in life as early as you can. And then num- number three, be patient because – the worst problem you can have is when you're, you expect more from the dog than it's capable of doing. And I give the example all the time about a guy, he brings me a dog and he has this list of stuff that he wants the dog to do, set down, stay, come to its name, come to whistle, all these things. So he brings me this dog and he brings it to me on Sunday. On Monday, I take the dog into the training room and I ask the dog to set. Boy, it drops right into a set. I asked the dog to come. He, he came and set. I mean, he, he did everything perfect. And I did that three or four times to see if, you know, I was trying to figure out what this guy was talking about. So I called the guy and I said, hey, I thought you wanted me to teach this dog to set, stay and come. He says, I do. I said, the dog already knows it. He said, what do you mean? I explained to him what I did. He says, no, that's not what I mean by stay. I said, well, what do you mean by stay? He said, what I mean is that when I get ready to leave for work in the morning and we go out on the porch and I tell the dog to stay there, when I come back that night, I want him to be there. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Expectation. I mean, you know, you could the, the dog could be doing really, really well, and you might think that the dog is doing terrible, or the dog may be doing terrible, and you think it's doing really good. So it's, it's, it's trying to understand what your dog's capable of doing and how it's progressing along the lines of where you want it to be. And we do all kinds of different things, but, but when you have a really a world-class horn dog, when he's finished trained, you can have a T-bone steak in one hand and a horn in the other, and the dog will tear your arm off trying to get to the horn. That's when you know you have That's a That's saying dog. something right there. Yep. Uh, at, at what age do you feel like, you know, they are coming into their own? I mean, at, at one year old, does, is a dog you know, really starting to find some antlers on his own in the wild? You know, a lot of them will actually start to perform at a fairly pretty high level, about six months of age. And then from there it goes up to, and generally it, by the time they're 10 months of age, you know, they're, they're, they're hitting a lick. Now that may sound strange to a lot of people. Okay. 
But when you're when you're when you you start them at twelve weeks at ten or twelve weeks of age, they're advancing through just like a child in in school. You know, they go and they have kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. They they're progressing up through those grades. And by the time if if you've done your training right, okay, I'm not trying to sell our book, but I mean it gives you the steps on how to do it, and. I would actually prefer to sell and help a person who didn't know anything about training than somebody who thought that they knew, okay? Because, and especially if they've been used to using fear-based training where they're, they're, they're abusing the animal. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time today. Uh, it's always fun talking to you. Uh, good luck this spring finding sheds. Awesome. And I really appreciate your time. And give us a call at Antler Ridge. 816-289-1154. Thank you. Yeah, sounds good. Take care. If you enjoyed the interview with Roger and you're interested in learning more about his kennel and him, visit antlerdogs.com. Once again, that is antlerdogs.com. The website uh, provides all kinds of information about puppies and dogs and he even has a DVD available. On next week's show, we're going to have professional hunter and outdoorsman Donnie Vincent on the show. Donnie travels the globe in search of adventure and uh, big game animals. He was actually supposed to be on the show this week, but he ran into a scheduling conflict. He's actually out of country, so we're going to have him on next week. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to the Drop Time Report podcast on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to it. Uh, You can learn more about me at TracyBreen.com. Until next week, have a great day.